0: You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to Cyberwire X, a series of specials where we highlight important security topics affecting security professionals worldwide. I'm Rick Howard, the Chief Security Officer, Chief Analyst, and Senior Fellow at the CyberWire. And today's episode is called Cyber Confidence Knowing What You Have and Where It Is. A program note each CyberWire X special features two segments. In the first part, we'll hear from an industry expert on the topic at hand. And in the second part, we'll hear from our show's sponsor for their point of view. And since I brought it up, here's a word from today's sponsor, Looking Glass Cyber, a global leader in cybersecurity.
2: Comprehensive visibility into your assets, and in Looking Glass's opinion, especially those that are connected to the internet, can help reduce cyber exposures that could be exploited by malicious threat actors. With complex technological environments, including in the cloud and containers, as well as expanding supply chain and third party vendor reliance, Gartner highlights that security and risk management leaders who are aware of their attack surface can improve their risk posture by prioritizing security hygiene and increasing its visibility. Looking Glass is excited to offer you this complimentary Gartner research, Innovation Insight for Attack Surface Management. Visit lookingglass.com resources to learn more. And we thank Looking Glass Cyber for sponsoring our show.
1: I'm joined by Jacqueline Miller, the head of InfoSec and IT and chief security officer at Dispatch Health, and also a long-running visitor here at the CyberWire hash table. Jacqueline, thanks for coming on the show.
0: Thanks, Rick. Happy to be here.
1: So today we're talking about visibility or attack surface management. So let's start with some basics. When you think about those issues at Dispatch Health, what does it mean to you? What are you, what are you trying to do?
0: Yeah, so I'm thinking about the different domains of our tax surface and what are our different opportunities and vectors to be able to gain visibility of those different surface areas. With a company like Dispatch Health, where we are literally changing how healthcare is delivered, in healthcare, the principal idea was you're largely dealing with the campus or offices and all the patients come to that campus or office to receive care we are bringing healthcare into the home. A lot of the concerns that have come up with COVID and remote work are doubly so for us because we are sending our providers into patients' homes, having to deal with mobile connectivity and networks potentially that we don't have control over. And so we have to become very creative about leveraging flexibility, but also leveraging many different tools in order to gain visibility, particularly with, with endpoints. All of those endpoints are then connecting back, of course, to the different applications that are running in the cloud, public cloud environments or SaaS applications that are protecting PHI, patient PHI. So we are thinking... About a very complex attack surface and managing all of that visibility into one pane of glass is, of course, very challenging because all of those different surfaces are very different from a technology perspective.
1: So a couple of things before we dive deeper into this. First, you mentioned an acronym there, PHI. What does that stand for?
0: That is private health information. Um, So under the HIPAA laws, um, HIPAA regulations, that is the 18 elements that make up a patient's chart or pieces of information that is related to patient
1: health care. Did this uh, delivery model that you guys are trying to do at Dispatch Health, did that start because of COVID or it helped it because everybody was locked in their rooms or you guys were already down that path or what was the impetus there?
0: Yeah, we were already down that path well before COVID. I think COVID really just accelerated a trend that was already in progress with healthcare in the home. We're in the the third year of the pandemic and the idea of delivering care in the home in many different facets than prior to the pandemic has become widely accepted. And we're seeing very large companies, everyone from Amazon to CVS, United, Humana, et cetera, being very, very interested in this model of care.
1: So you guys are a startup and uh, CyberWire is a startup, and you would think that because we are so small that we could have a handle on where all of our data is. But, but in truth, it's scattered to and fro in, in what I've heard you describe it as data islands. So can you were talking about that a little bit before I sidetracked this on COVID, but can you describe the complexity of that situation when your data is scattered all over the place?
0: On one hand, being a startup means that we can be flexible and adopt new technologies that more established organizations have trouble really accessing and leveraging. But on the downside, that means that we're often moving so fast that piecing together the technology that we use or interconnecting that technology can be often missed. And I think that's how we develop this idea of data islands. We have a specific business problem or use case that we're looking to solve. And we deploy technology to specifically solve that problem, but we don't spend the time to interconnect that you know technology or sometimes a suite of, of technology or tools into our existing operational tools and landscape. And I think in startup, when you're making a lot of trade-off decisions, having security monitoring, security visibility, or even just operational visibility into those data islands is often left off the project plan and it ends up being an after-action review or a finding in a risk assessment That we perform where we have to go back and figure out how to make these things work. So it's not part of the technology selection. And I think that's probably the number one reason why we end up with data islands is because we don't think about that integration from a visibility standpoint. We only think about interoperability from the business standpoint.
1: Well, I I don't think it's just a security thing either. I mean, uh, you know, I'm a relatively old-timer compared to you. And, you know, when I started doing this back in the 90s, we just had one island. You know, it was just the data center, right? But as the cloud started to take over in in the, you know, mid-2000s, let's say, all of a sudden, our data was exploding or being delivered or distributed all over the place. So, you know, we got cloud providers like Google and Microsoft and, and Amazon, and, and then just fast forward to, I don't know, five years past that, maybe it became acceptable to use your personal work phone uh, to do mm-hmm. work. Right. I mean, and some organizations got there sooner than others, but I think pretty much that's kind of the standard practice these days. So it's big cloud providers, it's mobile platforms. And plus, I don't, I'm, I'm sure you guys are the same as us as startup. You know, we're using a hundred. SaaS applications to run the business. So data is distributed through all that. So that's what I mean by data islands. And, and like you said, there's no cohesive connectors, you know, that makes you, that gives you visibility of all that. I think that's where the complexity is. Is that what your experience is too?
0: Yeah, definitely it is. And, um, you know, I think the first place where things start to get stitched together is always around access, right? Centralizing and and making access administration easier when you've got so many SaaS applications is an intuitive next step and a good place to start from a visibility standpoint. But then when we start putting on our security hats and we think about what type of data, what's the classification, have we broken down within the application itself? Do we have RBAC deployed, not just of, of getting SSO initially deployed, That's where that level of visibility starts to get really, really cloudy. And it's very hard. You know, we're back to spreadsheets to keep track of all of that information.
1: (laughs) Here we are. Here we are 2022 and roll out the uh, RBAC spreadsheet, right? Yep. (laughs) So uh, you mentioned RBAC. Tell me what the acronym stands for for the audience.
0: Yep, role-based access control. So that's where we are looking at fine-grained access controls to give people access only to the data that they need within a specific application.
1: And which is the essential piece to any kind of zero trust strategy that you're trying to roll out and also important to any kind of identity and access management program. So it's a model for us. But I would say from medium to large organizations, they can start on this path, this identifying the attack surface with tools they already have in place. You know, most of the organizations of size have a few firewalls deployed and modern day firewalls are application firewalls or layer seven firewalls. And any network traffic that goes through one of those devices is classified as an application, like going to Facebook as an application, using Gmail watching Netflix, you know, even pinging a host in the firewall's eyes, that's an application. So if you configure the firewall correctly, you can get at least a preliminary view of the network flow in your environments, regardless of the data islands. But for you and me, you know, that doesn't work for small organizations. Many startups and small organizations don't even have firewalls deployed. So what do those organizations do? Yeah, there's a couple of ways
0: to do it that I found, at least to to approach that level of maturity. One is thinking about conditional access and starting to configure that with your IDP, your identity provider. And so, for example, if you're using Azure AD and you start to put in kind of those application aware rules where even for SaaS applications, when you're SSO integrated, if you're able to confirm that the the user is coming from a secured device before they access the application, then you can start to become more aware of times when, you know, you get alerts where somebody is accessing something from an unideal location. You'd be able to differentiate that traffic. So it's more getting a aware of the things that you care about. It doesn't necessarily help with what you talked about with the firewall-based access. Is my provider accessing or my employee accessing Facebook when they should be doing work? It's not going to give that level of visibility. For that, really having you know some type of tool in place that does URL filtering to give the the more understanding about what's going on in the browser is is almost required. So things like CASBY, Zscaler, are tools that I think for smaller organizations, putting that into your roadmap is really, really important because it is is kind of the, the replacement for the firewall based
1: approach. Yeah, but like you said, like you know, you and I are small. I have no money to do any of that. So anything we're doing in this area, we're home growing it, right? We're yep. We're we're doing it on our own. So is, is that your your team writing their own software or are you dishing that out to the CIO team or are you are all those things, but <laughs> how do you how do you manage that uh, where you are?
0: <laughs> We're largely piecing together the tools that we have today to create better visibility. And then because we are within the healthcare industry, we are heavily regulated. So those are tools that we're putting on our roadmap and we're trying to figure out what are the trade-offs that we have to make, you know, the difference between hiring somebody next year versus bringing in a new tool like that to help us as we scale. So eventually we're going to hit the limit of what we can do with writing our own solutions, internal solutions, and we'll need to go to something that's more enterprise grade.
1: Is that one of the cases where compliance laws help a startup because it gives you more ammunition when you go to the boss and say, hey, I need to build this thing. I need tools to do this. Is that, is that help at this stage or is it still more of a, I don't know, more of a headache for everybody?
0: I think it's probably a bit of both, to be <laughs> honest, at this stage. We're in that gray zone where we we have we are a large, large startup, but we aren't aren't quite there yet. So it it definitely does help because there is a focus on protecting patient data across the organization. That is a key goal and metric of ours. But we also have to be good custodians of the business and understand that, you know, if we're making a decision between being able to provide patient care and taking on this this type of initiative, then the decision is always going to be to take care of the patient
2: first.
1: So you, your experience has been uh, in charge of security at a large organization. Now you're at a startup. So you've seen both sides of the coin. Any advice you can give to newbies out here that are trying to figure this attack surface thing out? Any any recommendations?
0: Meet your organization where they are. You kind of have to take a really strong look in the mirror and recognize where your business is at. If you come at the board or your senior management hard on these topics, it's complex. It's difficult for them to understand because it's not the world that they live in. So find ways to translate these types of projects into corporate objectives as well. The second would be to use what you have to the best of your capability and be creative and scrappy with what you have. I like to use the three points of data rule. It's like, if we can get three points of information or visibility on something, then we have pretty high fidelity. And you can actually do that with a lot of tools, whether that's endpoint management tools, you know, um, our IAM tools, um, and, and many other things that are probably already in your suite. Um, and it's just a matter of piecing them together, which does take time and focus in your security roadmap. If you can get three points of data on any user or asset, then then you have very high likelihood that, that it's accurate and you really know where the asset ex- exists or where the user exists um, and what its status is.
1: I was just listening to a podcast and the guest was uh, John Kindervog and he was trying to explain what Zero Trust was. You know, he's the father of Zero Trust back in the day and... He was saying that most people get the idea of zero trust wrong because they're assuming you have no trust. He says, no, no, no. We're trying to get confidence in our trust, that we trust that device, that person is who they say they are or is what they say it are. And using your three-point data rule, that gives you high confidence that you get there. I think that matches nicely.
0: It does, and it really helps with a zero trust roadmap, which is enough of a buzzword at this point that I think executives outside of IT and business leaders outside of InfoSec understand. They at least, you know, they want to say that we're on a zero trust roadmap or we're, we've got it. So having that three points of fidelity really helps implement zero trust a lot faster and is a huge underpinning to being able to achieve it.
1: Good stuff, Jacqueline, uh, but we're going to have to leave it there. That's Jacqueline Miller, the head of InfoSec and IT and Chief Security Officer at Dispatch Health. Jacqueline, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Next up is my colleague Dave Bittner's conversation with Cody Pierce, the Chief Product Officer at Looking Glass Cyber.
2: Cody, today we're talking about this whole notion of uh, visibility into folks' uh, multi-cloud uh, environments, those sorts of things. Can we start off with just some high-level stuff here? Can you give us a, a little bit of the lay of the land of kind of where we find ourselves and what led us to this point?
3: I think there's a couple drivers to where we are at currently and what I think people in, in cyber and generally in, in business are struggling with from a security perspective, one is that um, there's, a, you know, massive digital transformation going on. So most businesses or, you know, most of the, the, the large organizations are moving to the cloud, um, transforming their business so they can reach their customers anywhere their customers are and providing that access um, to, you know, work from home or remotely, internationally. And so they're expanding their IT footprint. A lot of that is single cloud adoption as they move from a traditional on-prem or maybe hosted or co-located IT stack to um, an Amazon or a cloud provider. But 60%, last I checked, actually are adopting multi-cloud. So not only are you moving to something that you may have had a lot of control over and you might have had a closet of IT assets and a firewall and Um, It wasn't connected to the internet directly to a cloud provider where they have hundreds of services from databases to compute and more, which by default, a lot of times it's connected to the internet. And so that expansion is what we kind of, is what we consider the attack surface, that expansion of IT assets connected to the internet from an external attack surface and then that complexity of your IT moving to uh, something that is a little bit more out of your control, a lot more complicated in many cases, and a lot, you know, a lot, lot more room for error. And I think there's a general worry, which is a, a very validated worry, that this huge transformation. Um, they may not have the visibility or the security controls or um, analysis of that complexity as they adopt these new platforms. When you add in multi-cloud, while moving to the cloud is is generally the cloud providers are similar in the services they offer, but a lot of the built-in security is different per provider. So Amazon's what they would recommend their security stack looking like is different than what Microsoft would recommend their security stack. So you have an extra problem of you're having to learn more, you may be managing multiple security stacks, and it's, in a lot of cases, kind of a new um, environment for your IT and DevOps people. And so that's just created the visibility problem first and foremost. And I'm a big believer in cyber hygiene, I'm a big believer that the fundamentals matter often more than... Um, some of the more extreme or technical or cutting edge things in cybersecurity, and for me, one of the pillars of that cyber hygiene is good visibility. Hmm. And and it's a it's a paradigm shift. It really is. And I think a lot of CISOs and now more and more of the board or uh, the C suite are asking, do we have visibility into our IT assets as we move to uh, you know cloud and as we digitally transform the business? And I'll say one more thing about that. This digital transformation, which I just kind of define as, you know, moving to more of a, um, you know, decentralized or cloud-based or data-rich environment, something like that, is good for business. It's for, in my opinion, most businesses need to take that leap. It has so many benefits from data to cost to speed that it's good. And so cybersecurity is always at the point where, we have to understand and support what is a positive advancement in technology. And that creates the, you know, dynamic of trying to secure what is moving fast and doing that really well. And, um, I, I think that is really kind of one of the fundamental things, you know, I could add that working remote or. Working from home or have being international is secondary, but a lot of those problems are again tied to the fact that you're no longer just on a VPN connected to a colo. I think I may be getting these stats slightly incorrect, but you know, 80% of corporate traffic is now going over the internet. Hmm. you know you're not in a studio plugged into a LAN and i think those are all kind of working together and uh, people are really just kind of need to retool and 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 kind of get their their hygiene down first
2: is your sense that there's a general awareness that that this is an issue of of, of these specific risks
3: i i believe there is an understanding of the risk over the last decade there's been more visibility into the cyber investment and and outcomes in most large organizations. So I think the conversations happen and and that's a good thing. What I would be curious about is the understanding at the more technical level or more operational level and, and understanding if Amazon is going to cover all of your security needs and that's factored in your transition to the cloud or maybe choosing that provider. And if you if if you believe that, you may be missing a lot of the work that needs to go into actually creating that. So I think there's definitely an understanding. I'm not sure if because it's such a different environment, I'm not sure if the IT people are as experienced managing that versus a colo or on-prem solution, um, if they understand what security the 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 cloud platforms are actually providing and um you know how you need to invest to augment that and uh, that includes rewriting your security policies and and changing your risk assessment and risk appetite for this new more dynamic world
2: hmm. to what degree are, are we dealing with you know folks uh being kind of comfortable and and maybe even um, you know blinded to things that are happening within their organization. I guess what I'm saying is is this a situation where having a fresh set of eyes come in to take a look at things could really be to an organization's benefit?
3: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I would never. <laughs> I would always have different perspectives. I mean, it's 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 good to have more help and more perspectives and more vantage points when you're collecting data or or assessing the security of a, a business. And frankly, when you do adopt more of these cloud services, Amazon has over 150 different individual services. The scale is something where you likely do need help, at least for some time. Now, if you are uh, if you have a, a massive security budget and you're bringing people in that are experts in some of these things, then that's great. You still probably want another perspective. And, and the good thing is that if you can get those multiple, multiple perspectives with your own people that understand the environment and the problem, then that feedback from um, the second party is actually going to be more meaningful. They'll know what to do with it. So you have different vantage points and different places that you need to collect visibility data or exposure data or threat data. And um, the more of that you have, if you do it in the right way, then I think you build up more confidence in what you as an organization need to invest in uh, and what you need to prioritize.
2: What's been your experience in terms of getting buy-in from you know the folks who have to sign off on on this sort of uh, initial effort, but then, you know, the ongoing part of it as well? The initial
3: part. So
2: I think um, there's definitely
3: buy-in for bringing in or augmenting security teams that are making a large change and adopting the cloud. I think people have are, you know, are realistic that this is a, a potential risk. Like it is a business risk moving, you know, your IT to a different platform and a, and a cost risk. So there's an appetite for that. Now, the complexity of the cloud means that I believe while potentially budgets have increased to support the cloud adoption, it may not be well understood that you have to be even more aware of the area of security you're going to invest that expanded budget in because you can't cover everything right off the bat. And with what Looking Glass does is we try to provide that buyer multiple different ways that they can partner with us and work with us and, um, you know, get value out of one of our solutions. And then as they grow and they need more, they need something different. You know, we can, um, we can work with them there. So, uh, it's, it's a nuance. I think it's a nuanced question. I don't think we can generalize too much, but I generally see that as how it breaks down that it's a good thing that budgets are increasing. We just have to make sure that we are using that precious dollars to invest in something it's going to have the most bang for the buck.
2: What are folks experiencing on the other side of this? You know, once they get a handle on this and it becomes a regular part of their operations, what sort of things are you hearing?
3: I, I like to point to DevOps and in um, Agile. Once, you, once you're a little bit more established, you start generally um, increasing automation, increasing the use of, platform as code or infrastructure as code and so you have these moving parts that your developers engineers or IT are adopting that help them be more consistent and help them build faster and and all those other good things and i think what we see on that side is people want to they may have an idea of a of a you know a baseline a secure baseline and that's what they want to stick to they want to make sure that they don't deviate so we see a lot of people, for instance, in DevOps, where an uh, engineer or a team is building something and they're deploying containers or assets in the cloud, and they may not realize that their development environments that they're pushing to the cloud are not as secure or not following the same principles that their production systems may follow, and you get an you know uh, asymmetry where attackers are very capable of finding out that you have developer systems that have lacked security and they'll go after that versus your production systems. And that deviation from a baseline of the expected security policies that you have, and that includes controls, authorization, identity management. That deviation becomes more important. So we want to be able to tell you that we just discovered um, a a new database in your Amazon Cloud
1: that is, does not have the firewall policies. We'd like to thank Cody Pierce, the Chief Product Officer at Looking Glass Cyber, and Jacqueline Miller, the Chief Security Officer and Head of InfoSec and IT at Dispatch Health, for helping us get some clarity about gaining network visibility. And we'd like to thank Looking Glass Cyber for sponsoring the show. Cyberwire X is a production of the Cyberwire and is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of DataTribe, where they are co-building the next generation of cybersecurity startups and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. And on behalf of my colleague, Dave Bittner, this is Rick Howard signing off. Thanks for listening.